Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is CJ. I work for an organization called Youth for Christ in our juvenile justice ministry. But this morning, I had the pleasure to hang out with you guys. Are you guys excited? All right. All right. Uh, This morning, we are going to be talking about God's authority and his lordship over our lives. And if we as Jesus followers claim Jesus as Lord, if we put God in his rightful place, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, then we need to be grounded. Everybody say grounded. In God's word. Amen. Amen. All right, before I dive in this morning, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much for your words of truth. God, I thank you that we get to to be here, to sit at your feet. God, I pray that we would have a posture of just a heart surrender to you. Lord, that we would set aside just all the things that are in our mind and in our hearts, God, but that we would be submissive to you as the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Holy Spirit, that you would be the great counselor in our lives, the one that speaks truth. Give us a heart to hear your words of truth. Father, I pray that as we are challenged by today's words, I pray that we would leave this room changed, God, that we would be forever be indebted to you because of what you did on the cross, Jesus, But through serving you, God, that we can bring a light into a dark world, God, that we can be you, that we can be just representing you the best way that we can. God, we love you. We know that there are challenges, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this morning, I want to ask you guys a question. Does society and culture influence your faith? Or does your faith influence society and culture? And I know for those of you guys who are Jesus followers, the the easy question is to lean into the second half and be like, oh, that's easy. My faith informs society and culture. But really take a minute to think about that. Really take a second to think about, does my stance as a Jesus follower really influence society and culture? And so in apologetics, that is the defense of your faith or belief, It's important to define terms. And so this morning when I say faith, I'm talking about a personal, trusting relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How we live our lives in that trust, in this relationship with our Heavenly Father, that is what I'm talking about when I say faith. And when I say society and culture, I'm talking about all the things that surround us in today's world. So social media... The, the things that when we get online, where we're like Facebook or Snapchat, I don't do any of this, so I got a whole list of this stuff. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Some of you guys might remember MySpace. I had a MySpace page. <laughs> but your social groups, your church groups, every group that you're a part of makes up your society and your culture. So again, I want to ask you guys, the society and culture inform or influences your faith or does your faith influence 
society and culture. So go ahead and take a minute, turn to a neighbor, and talk about this for just a few, for a few seconds. For reals. You're like, I don't know, I didn't, don't do this at church, this is new. Some of you guys who are sitting by yourselves might need to scoot over or turn around and say, hey, there is somebody sitting next to me. All right, pencils down. Some of you guys just had school trauma hit your hearts again. <laughs> So what influences your faith? Does God's word influence your faith or does the world? Do fancy and influential quotes and inspirational sayings influence you? Or does God's word influence you? Is your faith driven by things that you see on social media and your friends and family and all these other things? Or is your faith influenced by what you read in scripture and how you live it out? Sarah and I had probably one of the greatest acts of faith that we had to undergo. And some of you guys might remember our son Benjamin, when he was born, he was born with this condition called spina bifida. And this is where a sac grows like out of your back from your spinal cord. And all the nerves can tend to grow in there. And so we, we didn't know if he was going to be paralyzed. We didn't know if he was going to you know, be laid up or you know, whatever. We didn't know his condition, but we had to trust God in that. And that was a pretty significant thing for us. So he was born in November. A few weeks later, we got to take him home because he got done out of the hospital. We went through intensive care and doing all that. We took him home, and about mid-December, we took him to the hospital and we, because he was having trouble breathing. We're like, oh, what is going on? Like he's raspy. He couldn't catch his breath, and we were like holding them. We were up all night with him while this was all happening. And, you know, as a parent with a newborn, you're like, and this was like, we're like, oh, my goodness, we, you know, what's, what's happening? What should we do? So we took him into the hospital. Hospital sent us home, said, hey, just give him a breathing treatment. He probably will be fine. Well, I think it was like a week later. It was the night of New Year's. And we took him in because he was starting to turn blue. He was still raspy, couldn't catch his breath, and we were really worried. So we took him in, and they admitted him into the hospital. And that very night, they had to intubate him. And for those of you guys who don't know about that, they put a tube down his throat, which allowed him to be basically the, this machine to breathe for him. And so he was fighting for his very life. And so we began this journey for several weeks of whether or not we were going to lose our son or not. And so when I say faith, I'm talking about we have a heavenly father that I say that I trust in. And it isn't until we encounter into this space of hardship where that faith is tested, where, where we really show whether or not we have faith. And we say, God, we trust you. And so at the time, Sarah and I were spending kind of rotating nights trying to trying to sleep at the hospital. One of us would sleep at home, be with the kids, or be with Olivia. And there was, it was my turn to be at home, and I remember I did not want to leave the hospital. I was coming over the Peoria Bridge, heading towards 
back to Morton. And I had this moment kind of in tears, and I said, God, I don't know what is going on, but I trust you. I have faith that what you are doing is going to have a reason, it's going to have a purpose, but I trust you. So whether you take my son or whether you allow him to live, I trust you. And we'll work through it. And as a parent, that was one of the hardest things that I had to go through. And I'm sure when you talk to Sarah, she'd probably tell you the same thing. But that's where faith is. And it would have been easy for Sarah and I to listen and and to, to rely on these inspirational quotes, but they don't carry weight. Social media and all these things don't carry nearly as much weight as our Heavenly Father. When I read Scripture, when I see God get His people through time after time after time after time of just hardships and slavery and all these things, God ushers His people into safety. Amen? And so it's the same when when I surrender my life to Christ and when I say, God, I trust you, that's what I'm talking about. But it's so difficult to have faith in today's culture and in today's society because we have this mindset of cancel culture. We have this mindset of, oh, you have faith, you know, bad for you. We're going to shun you. We're going to do, you know, you're just, you're, you're crazy, right? And so as I was prepping this message, God brought this passage to mind. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, starting verse 8. But I want to read this from the CJ's modern version, okay? So let's, let's roll through this together, okay? Therefore, at the time, there were certain influencers that came forward and maliciously accused the Jesus followers. They declared to social media and the news, Oh, society, live forever. You, O oh, society, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of what we say shall fall down and worship and do what we say. And whoever does not fall down, worship, and do what we say shall be canceled, made fun of, belittled, and have the world turn against them. Now there are certain Jesus followers whom you have appointed over the affairs of the church. You guys can put your names here. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Does this sound a little familiar? Does this sound like today's society a little bit? So what would you do? You guys are all at the Civic Center. They put up this golden image and they, all the news and media outlets are there and they expect every single one of you guys to bow down to this false image, to pray to it, to worship to it. You have all your friends, all your family, Everybody is there. All eyes are on you. What are you guys going to do? Do you fear man or do you fear God? Do you fear man or do you fear God? And in this setting, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, I would stand up for God. But if we search through your Facebook or your social media, would you really stand up for God? If we, if we examined your life, would it represent your belief here in this building and in this room? Would that belief be the same as when you leave these doors? That's the pressure that we feel under. That's the pressure that it's easy when we're in this safe space 
to say, yes, I would stand up for God. So let's, let's keep on reading. I'm going to pick up in the English Standard Version. Now, there were certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought the men before the king. Now, keep in mind, King Nebuchadnezzar was like the king of kings at the time. Like, he was the guy that everybody feared because he was a conqueror. And everybody was under his rule. And King Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the backpipe, hold on. How many of you guys know what trigon is? I, when I was reading this, I was like, what? What is that? Just so you guys know, if, if I'm correct, it's like a triangle. So he must have liked the triangle. For, all right, anyways. Awkward. <laughs> all right. So whenever you hear the music and fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of, the, of his army to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered him and said, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no power. They had no power over the body of these men. And the hair on their heads was not singed, and their cloak was not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
who has sent his angels to deliver his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their house laid to ruins. For there is no other god, let me repeat that, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of Babylon. These guys are facing the ultimate cancel culture, death. And if you guys were caught in this very same situation, would you have enough faith? Would you have enough courage? Would you have enough strength? Would you have enough boldness to stand up for God? To stand up for Jesus? To stand up for the Holy Spirit? What would you guys do? These guys had so much faith that it changed a conqueror's heart. That he recognized and saw through their boldness, through their, their faith, the very person of God. He looked in the fire and saw probably Jesus or one of the angels protecting them. That's the type of influence that they have, and that's the type of influence that we have as Jesus followers. When we are bold in our faith, when we stand up for the right thing, when we do the right things and say the right things and move in a way that is according to Scripture, it changes lives. Amen? Amen? And so this morning, I want to ask you guys, do you guys have that type of faith that's going to influence society and culture? Because it is life-changing, but we got to do it together. So this week, I want to challenge you guys with something. I'm going to put some questions on the screen, and I want you guys to take some time this week and actually write them down and then answer them. So the first question is, I am a Jesus follower because... And I want you guys to ask yourself this question, not from a Sunday school church answer, but ask you guys, if you were all alone, it was just you, and you were being 100% honest with yourselves, no other influences. I am a Jesus follower because. And then I want you guys to ask, I am a Jesus follower. As a Jesus follower, I stand for what? What do you stand for? What are you willing to take a stand for? What are you willing to stand up and say, this is my position? And as you guys ask yourselves and list these things out, I want you guys to, to ask yourselves, do the answers align with God's word and his authority? And if so, back it up with scripture. Throw open God's word. Say, I believe this. Or I, I will take a stand for this because this is what it says in God's word. And then as a bonus question, I want you to challenge yourself with this. And this might be the hardest one. Is did your views come from the things you were influenced by? Or did they come from God's word? Have you really taken the time to open up God's word on whatever you believe and why you're a Jesus follower and is it grounded in Scripture? Is it grounded under God's word, under his authority? 
And that might be tough, you guys. There are a lot of things going on in today's world. A few things on, on my list. What are my views on drinking, drugs, parenting, school, marriage, whether I'm pro-choice or pro-life? The Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter. I like that one. <laughs> whether you're anti-gun, whether you're pro-gun, your views on LGBTQ+, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, critical race theory, and probably the most important, whether or not ketchup belongs on hot dogs or not. <laughs> I'll answer that. It does not. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there are a lot of hot topics out there today, you guys, and a lot of different viewpoints. And it would be easy to get caught up in the social media and the culture and, and sit in this world of like, oh man, yeah, I believe in this and this and this and this. And we throw out a lot of opinions and we throw out a lot of things that we've heard and things that sound good, but are they truly grounded in scripture? Are, is, is what we believe and what we're willing to stand up for really grounded in Scripture? And if so, let's back it up. Let's find the Scripture for it in context. Don't take Scripture out of context. That means you got to study God's Word and understand what is he writing, who is this letter to, or who is this passage to, what is the context, what is going on. It's going to require a little bit, bit of work, but that's where, where and why we do Bible study. And if we find those things in context, I think that we'll find that we will start to take a position on some things. But don't get me wrong, you guys. When we have these conversations, it's about having conversations in love. Jesus is a perfect example. He came in and delivered grace. And somebody say it. Truth. Grace and truth. And in today's world... There's a lot of churches, there's a lot of worlds and, and places that are teaching grace, 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 grace. But where is the truth? And the truth gets delivered, and someone, I heard it, someone say over there, it gets delivered in love. We don't go in and we don't enter into these conversations like, how dare you, and scripture says this, and, and we hammer it in. We don't do that. We have these conversations in love and we build relationships and we earn the right to be heard. We, we engage in conversations where we say, hey, like, I trust you. Like, what do you, what do you think about this? Well, I believe this because this is what Scripture tells me. And this is my authority. And let's have some dialogue. And let's talk about this. And help me to better understand this. Jesus didn't start any rebellions. His followers, his disciples, expected him to be this great conqueror, to come in and, and have all sorts of change and to take over the government. And that's not what he came to do. He came over to take over the spiritual authority through his blood, death, and resurrection, his life that he gave on the cross. We get to enter into an eternal kingdom. That's what he came for. And so as representative of his, it's important that we represent him well. If he's our master and if he was our rabbi and he was the ultimate teacher in the way that he set the tone and the example to say, this is the truth, but I'm going to deliver it with both grace and love. But you're still going to get the truth. And that's where it's important that we, if we're going to do this, that we also do the same thing as Jesus did. So read the Bible, understand what does that look like? 
Some of you guys might remember the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And in Corinth at the time was a major trade city. You weren't going to do any sort of trading in the area unless if it most likely went in through Corinth. And so it was this huge deal. And the church gets established there. And as the church is getting established, what you find is that, that Paul addresses that there's sexual immorality. There's religious diversity. There's corruption that's starting to form. And these are all things that are happening in the city. And what he notices is it starts to happening in the church. So Paul writes the church and he says, hey, guys, I know that there's sexual immorality. I know that there's some religious diversity. I know that there's corruption. And it's okay as long as you kind of keep it at bay. And, it, and, and when you're dealing with sexual morality, just kind of hide it and put it off in the corner and make sure that it's not seen. And when you're dealing with other faiths and religions, like, yeah, we want to get along with them, so let's, let's gather together and, and, and not be at odds with them and be together. And then when, when it deals with corruption, again, just kind of deal with it as it comes and then just, like, let it go. No, he doesn't teach that at all. Paul writes the church of Corinth and he's like, guys, these are things you have to be aware about. These are things that are going on in the church today and we, you got to be unified. This is not the, the, the church that Jesus has established in Corinth. How many of you guys have ever played tug of war? Okay, if you guys have ever played tug of war, you will know that you got two teams standing on either side and they're pulling and whatever team pulls the furthest ends up winning. And you may have a really strong team that's on one side, but guys, let me tell you something. This other side here, if they remain unified, if they have good communication, and if they work together, nine out of 10 times, they will defeat the other team. That's just how it is. Tug of war, it relies on everybody working together, pulling together, strategy. And if it's all together, they'll succeed. And as I look at today's world, when we have society and culture versus the church, God's church, the big C, there's a tug of war that's going on. There's a pull, a push and a pull. And we need to, we need to be unified. We need to be bold and we need to be strengthened in our efforts in following Jesus. Because if we're not, as a church, not just new life, but the big church, the church body together, standing firm, grounded in scripture, taking, taking a position in love and grace and truth on these things and speaking out in the correct avenues and the ways that you can speak out, I think is important. So let me share some words as I wrap up here from our master and king. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. For those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. For those who find it are few. So Jesus is painting this picture of salvation and saying, Hey guys, as Jesus followers, it's going to be really difficult. And I want to challenge you guys with something but if, if you're traveling this world today and you're not feeling a few bumps and bruises along the way when, you, when you're bold in your faith and when you're standing, standing up for God's word, I would challenge you to really examine, am I following Jesus 
Is God really my scriptural authority? Because if he is, I'm going to run into some trials. I'm going to run into hardships. Things are going to be tough. In John 16, 32 through 33, it says, Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and, you, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for, I, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Okay? So all these bad things are going to happen, but I say these things so you can have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We're going to run into some issues. We're going to run into some problems. And it's important as Jesus followers that we support one another. When somebody's going through something, support them. When they're having a discussion or when these topics or issues come up, support one another. Gather around them. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two because he knew that alone they would fall, but together they would stay strong. And as a church body, we have to stay together. We have to be unified, and we got to stay strong in these things because we are, we're promised that there's going to be tribulation. We're promised that there are going to be hardships. So as a wrap-up here, there's some of you guys who might be in the room that aren't believers who haven't said yes to Jesus, who hasn't committed their lives to Christ. And I would challenge you guys in this. Count the cost. If you are going to follow Jesus, there is a great price to be paid. And part of that price is surrendering your own thoughts, your own opinions to the Father. I don't have a right as a Jesus follower to read scripture and to turn it around and twist it to fit my own context. My worldview, my religious worldview, then gets turned around to fit what scripture says. God says this. His authority says this. And that's what I do. So count the cost, you guys. Because there is no greater reward than knowing that I got a king who's in control. I don't have to be in control. The whole reason and purpose for Jesus was to bring about hope. And we as Jesus followers have that responsibility to bring hope to all parts of the world, social media and culture. But that hope needs to be grounded in God's word. Amen.